Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts, just right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 3. The miracle that stunned the Mass. The miracle that stunned the Mass, Acts chapter 3. This story has to be one of the most exciting examples of faith in the Bible. Um, If you would, follow along as I just read the story and kind of get familiar with it. I want to read the first uh, ten verses or so. And then we'll take some time for prayer and uh, ask the Lord to teach us from this passage. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for the example that we read of in your word of this story of faith. Lord of truly just trusting you to do what only you can do. And Lord God, I ask that you would teach us from this passage what you would have for us to learn this day, that we might apply to our hearts and our lives this week as we go out and serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine asking for something, but then receiving something so much better than you asked for? That would be awesome, would it not be? I mean, can you imagine, I want money, but then you give something far better than money. So let me give you the bullet points of the story as we kind of unfold it just a little bit. Peter and John were just simply going into the temple for the time of prayer. And when you think about this, it was not in the early morning, it was in the middle of the afternoon, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, why it wasn't earlier, why it wasn't later, I don't know, but it seems kind of Interesting that it was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. When most people are starting to wind down for the day, they're going in for prayer. An ordinary day of going to the temple brought them this unexpected meeting with a man who was lame from birth. We don't know all the details of it, but we know that he can't walk. He has to be carried there each and every day as he would start the process of begging. Uh, So this man, he had to be brought there every day to this gate. So that he could just survive. Um, And I don't know about you, but can you imagine that kind of despair? Um, No job. I can imagine if I were in this situation, I probably wouldn't have a whole lot of dignity about myself. Probably wouldn't have a lot of self-respect. Not a lot of self-esteem. Not a lot of hope, really. But he's in a position where in order to survive... He has to beg. 
And the lame man notices Peter and John going into the temple in verse 3. So he begins to ask Peter and John for money. I mean, can you imagine there? He's just sitting there and he sees somebody going in. Hey, can you help me? And I don't know about you, but we probably most of us have been in those types of situations. If you've ever walked around downtown, if you've ever been in a bigger city near the restaurant district of the, of the inner city areas, there seems like there's always those that are out begging for money for whatever reason. Some of it's because of addictions. Some of it's because of poor choices. Others are because they are truly handicapped and have legitimate issues. But what is our typical response when somebody asks us to help them with money? Don't we kind of, no thank you, kind of just brush them off. We kind of just ignore them, pretend we didn't hear, though we know clearly we did hear them. It's our nature. Um, and if you've given to somebody in need in that kind of a situation, and you find out that they're not using it, then it kind of just shuts off for any future help. But we don't like being put in those situations. And you notice that Peter and John didn't just kind of run. They embraced the situation. You say, well, pastor, does that mean that you're telling us to embrace it? No, but I'm saying to do what God would have you to do, whatever that may be. But here's this man who's sitting here begging for money. And have you ever noticed that we often ask for what we think we what? Need. And if we were in that situation, we would probably think our greatest need is money. That's how we think. Here's a guy, we don't know how old he is, but we know that he's been lame since birth. And he would imagine that his greatest need is financial. I mean, if I'm going to eat my next meal, if I'm going to have a wherewithal to survive in this life, I must beg for what I think I need, which is money. Because we often think that money is the fix-all for whatever problem that we might be facing. But notice how Peter, along with John, answers the lame man's request. It's probably not what the lame man was expecting. Can you imagine, hey guys, I, I, I need your help. Could you help, give, would you give me some extra money? And Peter just kind of looks over him and goes, I don't have silver or gold. At that point, if it was you and I sitting in that lame man's position, we'd probably just instantly shut him off because we'll wait for the next guy to come. Right? Isn't that what we would do? Kind of, well, he ain't going to help me. But Peter didn't stop there. Um, immediately, Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, now there's a little bit of hope again, because he might not have silver or gold, but he might have something else I need. And he's there waiting, in verses 4 through 7. And Peter just looks down at this man, and he says, look at us. Right here, look, I don't have silver or gold, but look, what I do have, I give to you. The layman turned to him expecting to get something from them, because that's what God's word says. He expected to get something from him. So, why do you do what you do? Is your motivation what you might get from doing it? It's a question that came to my mind as I was reading through this. Why do I do what I do? I remember as a kid growing up, my dad had a big heart. And uh, he would often try to help those that were on staff at my church growing up. And, of course, they had a Christian school, so there was a lot of people on staff. 
But one of the things my dad would like to do is every spring, everyone knew that my dad had a big rototiller, kind of like what Don Clark has, in fact, the exact same one. Big Troy-built horse. And every year, my dad would load up this thing in the spring, and all the teachers and staff on, you know, at the church would, would put their name on the list, and dad would take us around to everyone's house. And I had to till the area for their garden. My dad had one rule. If they offer you money, you can't take it. Are you serious? Why does a 7th, 8th, ninth grader do what he does? Are you kidding me right now? And there wasn't just two or three places I had to go. I mean, Dad was the guy who went to everybody's house. And I had to go one by one. And you think my brothers and sisters would help with this? No, no, no. It was my job to go with Dad. So I do one, and then another, and another one. And you know all these people, they all offered money. No, no, it's all right, it's not right. No, 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 you keep it. I wanted it so bad. That's what we do what we do. And I'm glad God worked that way in those days. Now, I wasn't glad at the moment, but I am now looking back, that God, taught, or that God used my dad to teach me to do without expecting. I'm thankful for that principle that he taught. That we don't always have to get paid for every little thing we do. But why do we do what we do? Why is it that we stop? Is it that we might get something? This man looked up because he thought he might get something. That's what he wanted. And he asked for what he thought he needed, but it wasn't what he really needed. Now, if you were the layman, just having heard that the men that you asked money from have no silver or gold, would you keep looking at them? Would you keep looking? Or would you look on to the next, next person who's going to walk in the temple? And remember, they just didn't come into the temple to pray. They came into the temple to give their offerings. So it's probably likely that they're coming in, they have a little something that they are going to put in the offering. So for this lame man, it might have been a great place to stop and beg. Or is the conversation over? Do you begin to look for someone else that you can get help from? Does your focus go another direction or to another point? Because they've already explained that, hey, I got nothing to offer you, so therefore, um, you know, next. Or what might these men have who don't have silver or gold be willing to give me? Then Peter says something that probably stunned him at first. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, is it safe to assume something just for a moment? That this guy doesn't know how to walk. Why? He's been lame since birth. What? Walk? It would have been very easy at that moment for the lame man to just say, move on, move on. I don't have time for this. Don't patronize me. Don't look down at me. Tell me to walk. I've been lame since birth. What are you thinking? Have you forgotten? I mean, everybody knows I'm lame. Everybody knows I can't walk. But Peter and John take a step towards this man. And they reach down, and it says God in God's word that they reached down and picked him up. And something happened. In fact, let me reiterate from verses 8 and 9. So, so he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them. Walking, leaping, praising God. So first of all, he jumped up. Imagine this, he reaches down and, and he just kind of springs up. 
with strength in his feet and strength in his ankles. Can you imagine what's going through this lame man's mind? I can't fathom. I haven't walked in how many years? And all of a sudden I'm standing? He got carried in and set down there. And now he's up. Jumping up. And he starts to walk. In fact, not only does he walk, he goes into the temple with them. Follows them in. Goes in with them. And he began to what? What's that say in verse 9? Walking, or verse 8. Walking, leaping, and what? Praising God. So what happened to the man who was begging, who is now praising God? Say, so, well, was he, did he have faith before he started? I, I don't think he did. But God used the circumstance to show him who he was. And through the circumstance, he began to praise God. And his story became a testimony to those that knew of him before the miracle took place. Because it says there in verse 10 and uh, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. See, when God shows up and does a miracle like that, people begin to take notice. The people recognized who he was, and the people ran and gathered around him. This is not just a, oh, hey, 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 Susan, you remember that guy, down, John, down the street that was lame? Yeah, he's walking around now. It wasn't just table talk. Everybody knew him and recognized who he was. And now he's jumping up, walking into the temple, leaping, praising God, and everybody knew it. And a question comes to my mind. How do we respond when God works in our lives? Has any of us ever seen God do something great? Anybody? Do we hide that? Or do we talk about it? Do we let God use it as an opportunity to bring glory to himself? Do we let God use it as an opportunity for people to praise who he is and what he's capable of? Because I think when we talk about what God is doing, you say, well, Pastor, I'm not a great evangelist. I, I, don't, I don't do very well at you know, running around sharing my faith. What if we just simply talked about what God is doing on a daily basis? The very fact that you have life and breath and health. The very fact that you can walk and think and reason. The very fact that you have a healthy body and use your hands and go places, and do things, and listen to things? Do we talk about who God is and what He's capable of doing so that it might turn people's heart and minds towards Him? Do we publicly praise God when He works? And do you allow your story to encourage others? Let me just say this for every one of us in this room this morning. We all have a story if we know Jesus Christ. We all have a story. I remember thinking when I was a kid growing up, ah, my story's kind of boring. I mean, I wasn't an alcoholic before I got saved. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't immoral. I wasn't unethical. I was five. Wasn't involved in all that stuff. 
We don't have a really exciting story at all, really. Just not too much about it. Here's what I began to realize later. God saves some people out of some things. God saves some people from some things. But here's the miracle. God saves. We all have a story. How is it that God worked in your life to draw him to yourself? Or draw you to himself? What, did, what were the circumstances? What's the story that needs to be told? I think of the woman at the well. She didn't go to Jerusalem Baptist Bible College before she was used of God. She simply told others what happened to her. And if we have a story, that's simply all we need to do. Tell others what's happened to you. What has God done in your life? What is your story that could be shared to some, with someone else to turn their hearts towards Jesus Christ? Everyone has a story, and everyone can share their story. And as this man's story got out, Peter asked two questions in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? And why do you stare at us as though we made him walk? Pretty fair enough questions, right? Why are you amazed? I mean, you act like God's never done something before. We're amazed at what God is doing. And why do you look at us as though we did anything? We didn't do anything. Peter has a captive audience at this point. And he uses his platform to give them a very stern message. In fact, he says, only God can do this. Let's go on and read this. He says in verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You deny the Holy and Righteous One and ask Him to have a murderer released to you. <coughs> Verse 15, You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Stop right there. I don't think at this point that the crowd is really excited about now, you know, but by, about being a bystander. I mean, it was all cool at first. We watched a guy who couldn't walk, who was carried in here and sat down. Now he's up jumping around, walking and praising God. He's in the temple. And everybody's watching and everybody wants to see this, you know, this little miracle in, in history here take place. And all of a sudden the whole mood of the conversation just flipped. Why are you standing, standing here in amazement as though you've never seen God do a miracle before? And why do you look at me as though we did anything? You guys, wow. You handed him over even though he was not guilty. You denied him, the Holy One, the Righteous One, and you killed him, who is the source of life. Um, I think I just kind of want to go away now. <laughs> See you, Peter. It's good knowing you. He used his stage as a platform to share a stern message. Can we just say this? It was like they forgot who Jesus was and what God was capable of. Let me ask you a question. They're standing there. They know that Peter and John are followers of Jesus. 
but they've forgotten who God is. They're Israelites. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's the one responsible for this, not us. But it's like they forgot who God was. question came into my mind again. I wonder if there are times in my life that I forget who God is. I kind of take my focus off of God uh, and put it on the situation at hand and kind of think that I had to take care of this. It's on me. i got to figure things out. But in tough times, in painful times, in stressful times, in doubtful times, and in good times, we can't forget who God is and what He's capable of doing. I need those reminders. Peter used this as an opportunity to focus their attention not on the miracle, but on the God of the miracle. Because that's where our focus needs to be. And look what he says also, too. Here's a man who's not at the temple because he's a follower of Christ. He's at the temple to beg. But because of what God had done, he begins to praise God. And look at verse 16. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Through that circumstance, God worked in his heart in some way, I don't understand it all, to turn his thinking towards God. For him to have faith in him. There are times in our life that God allows us to go through difficult circumstances. Would you agree? None of us are exempt from them. There are definitely circumstances that God says, you're getting a little bit distant. In fact, our relationship hasn't been so good lately. I need to draw you closer. He allows circumstances, I think, to get us focused back on Him. And this circumstance was nothing more than an opportunity for His focus to be put on God, where it needed to be. You see... He could have gotten money, silver, gold, and may have bought him another meal. Might have bought him a couple days meal, a week's meals. But then what? Right back to begging again. The next day, and the next day, or the next week. You've heard the phrase, give a man a fish, and he'll have a good meal. Buy him a fishing rod, he'll have many good meals. Isn't that exactly what's taking place here? Why would I give him money, silver, gold, to help him buy a meal when I can restore his health and he can go to work? And he can praise God for what he's done and be a testimony of God's power. The man's faith has healed him. And can I just say this, verse 17? Read this verse. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. As if it wasn't enough to say, you guys are the one that denied Jesus, you handed him over, you had him killed. As if that wasn't enough, you and your leaders acted in ignorance. And can I just say this? Ignorance is not bliss. Not knowing is not an excuse. And Peter reminds them that, wait a minute, (laughs) this ain't good. And here's what he challenges them with after the miracle. In verses 
18 and following says, In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that the Messiah would suffer. Verse 19, Therefore, he tells them, the crowd that had gathered, Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Stop right there just for a moment. He gives them basically three words of admonishment. Repent and turn back. You know what that really literally means? It means that you're going this direction. And you're confronted with something that's truth that you're doing that is wrong. And you turn your back on it and go a different direction. You're putting what you know is wrong behind you. In other words, you have the same opinion about that sin that God has about that sin. It is a big deal. It's not on a scale of 1 to 10, the little white lie versus the 10 murderer. It's sin. And I'm confronted with it. And I'm going to turn my back on it and go a new direction. And he says, you people that are standing here, you need to repent and turn back. Number two, he says, you can be forgiven. Be forgiven. And you know, that's the beautiful thing about every time God confronts us with a sin in our life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that happen by itself? It doesn't. Forgiveness only comes after I confess it. He says, if you will confess, I will then forgive. We'll say, oh, God's a forgiving God. Yes, he is. But your responsibility in receiving the forgiveness is to confess your sin before him. Say, well, is it really that big a deal? Yeah, it is. Because sin separates us from having close fellowship with God. And we've said it many times over the, over the last several years in various sermons. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28 says, if I hide my sin, the Lord will not bless. Hebrews reminds us that you can't hide it anyway. All things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do. Psalm 139 says, even if you go down to the depths of hell, God knows what's going on. You can bury it in the deepest part of the ocean. Until we confess our sins, there's no forgiveness. But when we do, his forgiveness is freely given. We have responsibility in the matter. And he tells these people, repent, turn back. Have your sins forgiven. And then he says, be refreshed. He says that seasons of refreshing may come. I don't know about you, but sin binds. Sin constricts. Sin holds you down. It's like a weight on your shoulders when you've not dealt with it. Ask anybody who has gone through a period of running from God. When they get right with God, it's like the burdens are lifted. Sin restricts. It holds down. It's like weight on your shoulders. And that weight won't be lifted until you deal with it. Here's the beautiful thing. When we confess, he forgives. And times of refreshing can come. So, how do I apply a story like this to my life? What does it mean for me in 2018? 
How do I see relevance in this story from my life? I think there are at least three things here that we can learn from. Number one, like the beggar, we need to have faith. What if the beggar would just have said, you know, guys, get out of here. I've been birthed my, I've been, I've been lame all my life. I've never walked before. I don't know what you're talking about. Just, just get out of here. Don't patronize me. Don't look at me that way. Just, just, just leave. But you know, that's not what he did. He didn't pull his hands back as Peter and John tried to reach down to him. He jumped up. He leaped up. What do you have to lose? I asked that same question. What do you have to lose by drawing closer to God? By trusting Him? You have everything to gain. But like the beggar, we need to have that kind of faith and follow through. Do what we're told. Number two, like the Israelites, we need to remember who God is. Not just in the good times, but in the good times, but also in the times of despair and frustration and stress and difficult situations. It's like they forgot who who God was. And like the Israelites, we need to remember. And I think thirdly, like Peter and John, we need to act humbly and let God use us. Can you imagine Peter in the moment? And I can see Peter doing this just like I can see any one of us doing this. As all the crowd has gathered, and Peter has just reached down and helped him jump up, it would have been really, really easy for Peter to say, <laughs> Yep, I'm a disciple of Christ. Look what I've done. Wouldn't it have been so easy to do that? This is Peter. The one that really needs an open mouth, insert foot most of the time of his life. But Peter didn't do that. He says, don't look at me as if we did this. Because we didn't. God did it. Not us. He acted humbly and let God use him. And I'm looking at these three things and we say, okay, like the beggar, I need faith. Fair enough. God, give me faith. I'm going to pray for that. Or like the Israelites, you're right, Pastor, we need, we need to remember who God is. And things go good once in a while, and things are humming along, you know, there's no real problems, everything's kind of just even keeled, you know, you know, things are just okay, yeah, we're good. But the third one, that takes it kind of to a different level. It really does. Because it's really easy to do the first two sitting in my seat and not have to move. The first two, I can sit there right in my seat and say, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have more faith. God, give me faith. I can sit there right in my seat and say, yeah, I'm going to remember everything God has done for me. But number three, I have to get out of my seat. That's where it gets really hard for a lot of people. Because we're comfortable in our seats. The seats feel good. It's got lumbar support. I'm comfortable. I can sit in my seat with a remote. I can, be, I can be excited about where I'm at in my seat. i got all kinds of channels to watch. I can even recline a little bit take a nap here. I can read a good book and eat popcorn. But if we're going to be like Peter and John, you have to get out of the chair. That's the hard part sometimes. Say, Pastor, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'd like to be indoors. 
and let God use you. Get out of the seat. In humility, say, God, thank you for what you've taught me. Thank you for the things I've been able to learn about you. God, thank you for how you've shown yourself strong in my life. Thank you for doing a work in me. God, would you use me to help someone else? And get up. Because I dare say God wants you to get out of the seat. This is where the rubber meets the road. So did you get all that from the story? Yeah, it's in the story. They got up, went to the temple, and wait a minute. God has a little distraction that he wants me to deal with. It's this man down here. Who is it that God wants you to deal with? What's the circumstance God wants to use you to work through? The opportunities are there, right? They're there. They're all around us. If we're not willing to take the blinders off, we won't see. Sometimes you just got to take the blinders off. Open up the panoramic view and see what's out there. And get up out of the seat. Get up and let God use you. Lord, thank you for the story. There's so much here. Just a simple story, but so much application. 